1: Shopping for humans is hard. Shopping for your dog is easy, thanks to Bark. Every month, we deliver toys and treats just for your dog. Whether it's fun, plush, or tough toys for heavy chewers, we spoil all the dogs. Subscribe now and get a free upgrade at BarkBox.com iHeart.
0: tika.com
1: Get in zone, AutoZone.
0: Welcome to AutoZone. What are you working on today? Ah, thinking about gas mileage. You know, changing your oil with a full synthetic oil like Castrol Edge can help your engine get more miles. Right now, you can get 5 quarts with an STP extended life oil filter for only 36.99. Get started on your next job today with the parts you need when you need
3: them at AutoZone or AutoZone.com. Get in the zone.
0: AutoZone.
3: Restrictions apply. Hey, everyone. It's Johnny from the Johnny Drinks Podcast. If you like what you hear, please feel free to share with a friend. Leave a review. A little goes a long way. But for now, sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode. Welcome, everybody, to the Johnny Drinks Podcast. I'm your co-host, Johnny. I'm not here with my dad today, so I'll, I'll, I'll bring this up so nobody else asks the question. He's actually in France right now, living his best life, so I have to take over and say the grind does not stop and continue the podcast series. We are here with the co-founder of So So Sake, Mike Brown. How are we doing today? I'm
4: great. Thank you uh, very much for having me. It's yeah. a pleasure. It's always a pleasure to be around you, and uh, I'm honored to be a guest, so thank you very much. Uh, appreciate was, it. That was awesome, man. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's so funny. We met probably, what, two years ago? Yeah, I think it almost exactly two years ago. It was a little bit after we launched, and we launched in July of 2021. Yeah. I think we got connected somehow. I don't. I can't remember if, if one of us reached out to the
3: other, if someone connected us, but. Did we, t- did we, were we talking about so-so yeah, when, we, for when sure. we connected? We did. Well,
4: yeah, we were, we were talking about so-so and I think that, that you had known that I went to Penn State and had mutual friends with you. So it was like a super easy conversation and then we just got into how you were doing the Johnny drinks and it was like perfect for us to do something together.
3: Okay. Yeah. So yeah. I, it wasn't before, cause I know you've done. You've had startups before this, correct? And correct. this, so I thought maybe I reached out prior because I had a startup. Experience. No, I think
4: it was. I think it was because maybe you had seen what I was doing with Zebra or something. I don't know. And then when you saw that I was getting involved in the beverage space, yeah, that was it. Been, okay, like it made sense to talk or something. So yeah. explain. So Zebra, explain what yeah. Zebra was. Yeah, so Zebra was an electric moped subscription, um, which sounds a little bit crazy. But if you've seen like Revel in New York City, yeah, um, like the sit-down mopeds. Mm-hmm. A similar form factor to that but the idea was a monthly subscription where it was actually delivered to your house and it was yours for the month you could use it for as long as you wanted and when you were done you would cancel and we'd come pick it back up for you so it was like a base it was a we viewed it as a real car replacement we were trying to solve the short-term commuting problem that people have where if they don't have a car and they work three miles away um, you know to drive a car three miles every day is very expensive in terms of just um, you know the the lease or the payment yeah, yeah. for the car, gas, insurance, whatever it is. So if you can just give someone something that they can take to work, that's there. They don't have to find it on the sidewalk, like a bird scooter. They can put groceries in the trunk of the, the moped, whatever you are fixing a big problem. So that was the idea. And it was, uh, it was helping a lot of people, but it was just a very complicated business model.
3: What I was going to ask you, what was the pricing structure? Like was it based on per mile?
4: No, it was so that, I mean, it was probably too good to be true. Looking back, it was $99 per month flat to start. Doesn't yeah, matter then, how far. And you then got. we would charge for um, different types of like uh, insurance packages and maintenance packages as well. Switching. Switch means oh, Okay. Um, maintenance packages as well. So it was you know it was, the pricing was was really solid. We ended up having to raise prices and offer different tiers for different lengths of time renting. But so how far did you take this this idea? So we took it. So so I. So I actually joined two guys that I went to Penn State with. I was working in New York at the time, trying to get involved in a startup somehow, trying to start my own things, like doing all these crazy things on the side. Had heard that they moved to L.A., um, quit their jobs in banking to start a car sharing company called transfer at the time So that was similar to like a Turo or get around if you're familiar with those where mm. you're basically renting other people's cars Yeah, like Airbnb for cars, but it was airport focused. So we were matching inbound and outbound travelers So if you were an outbound traveler that had a car and you were going away for two weeks Instead of you know paying to park at the airport You would leave your car with us and then oh. someone would come in and rent your car and then you would get paid while you're on vacation That's sick. Yeah, so in theory, a good idea. It's just also something very complicated. And we ended up getting backed pretty early on by a VC fund in San Francisco. We moved up there. And, you know, I had zero experience doing anything startup related. Like I was working in finance prior, tried to start things growing up, but no real marketing or startup experience. And I took over as chief revenue officer. So started running our Facebook and Google ads and starting the Instagram page and getting content made and all that stuff. And the car sharing thing was just not really moving as quickly as we would have hoped. And our investor was bored by it. And he basically gave us the ultimatum. Like he, he put in a seed round. It wasn't like a huge check to start. So he was like, all right, if, if this doesn't get more interesting or I don't see more growth soon, you don't think of something to make this better. Like I'm done meeting with you right. and we were like backs against the wall. What do we do? And that's when I saw, at that point, Bird was going crazy. This was 2019. Bird was, I think, the quickest company to a billion at that point. Mm -hmm. Lime was growing like crazy. You had all these scooters and mobility companies um, showing up on the scene. And we were like, how could we iterate and make... A better form of transportation or fix the problem that they're not solving and that's when we came up with like the commuter thing Like have a moped that's actually yours for the month, whatever So we launched that early summer of 2019 like ran some test things had like a hundred like a pilot in san diego and then deliver them to people and people loved it and on that traction and that proven success of people like using them and us being able to deliver them and get mopeds. Our investor gave us like two or three million more dollars, I believe off the back of that. And then we went to China and we bought like a thousand custom zebras wrapped in zebra stripes. And we started delivering them all over San Diego, expand to Sacramento and then Phoenix. And before you know, we had like thousands of these things out on the road. We were approaching like a million, like over a million in revenue in like eight months. It was just like an exponential like curve. Yeah. Then we, that was you know, so we launched in the early summer of 2019. By December 2019, we were gearing up to raise like a 12 and a half million dollar Series A, which we did
3: raise. Yeah, you raised 12 million dollars.
4: 12 and a half, and just in that round. Yeah, I think in total we raised
3: you know around 15 million bucks or 16 million bucks. I don't know why I always thought that it was like you had this idea, mm-hmm. you had a little bit of traction, you kind of like let it let it go. So this was this was almost legitimate, or it was legitimate. It was
4: legitimate. Yeah, like we had we had thousands of customers. We had so we went from. Working in, and this was all the craziest learning experience for me. I, you know, had never done anything like this. And before you know it, I'm in charge of a million dollar revenue, close company, running all the marketing and branding and sales and everything, customer acquisition. And then we ended up having like 30 employees in office downtown San Francisco from a little crappy apartment in the suburbs of San Francisco. We were all like sleeping on air mattresses and stuff. And and, uh, we had a warehouse in each of the markets we were in, and it felt like, we were on top of the world and uh, it's, you know, around February of 2020, things started coming undone a little bit and the operations were really, it was a really difficult business to scale because if you think about it, you've Mm. thousands of vehicles that people are riding around on the street that they're destroying, they're stealing, they're not paying for, they're going delinquent. And it's really tough to make that business model work for the price point we were offering. And, uh, and then on top of that, regulation right we were we were definitely operating in a gray area for the most part just because with a lot of these scooters and mopeds there's the the laws for these were written before they existed it was made only when like motor vehicles like cars were on the roads and trucks and these little electric vehicles aren't really incorporated into those existing laws so there's a lot of gray area and like work that needs to be done to make sure that that's it's almost like why the Segway never worked out People thought that was like the next great invention, but they couldn't find a place for it because it was too big to go on sidewalks and it couldn't go on streets. And just the regulation just wouldn't fit around it. So, sorry, do you have a question. No, did, yeah.
3: did you need a license to drive one of these things?
4: So technically it was a, a, a motor scooter, um, but that's where there was gray area. Like right. there was arguments it could have been a moped, it could have been a motor scooter, but you did need a driver's license. Not, uh, And it was up for question basically if you needed a motorcycle license. The way that was that was the gray area. So that was the gray area. Yeah. yeah. And then it just became to the point where we were trying to work with lobbyists to make sure that everything was green. And it just it it was getting to the point where we were like, okay, we should probably like halt on this and get this all cleared out, because when you're dealing with transportation, it's a serious thing. Mm -hmm. So that happened. There were some internal things. And we were young when we started this. I was 26. The other two guys I started with were 24 and 25 we ended up scaling so fast. There was a lot of mistakes made just Mm -hmm. in terms of financing things and hiring and firing and mismanagement with the early team members and just a lot of things that started to pile on top of each other. And, you know, it feels like you raise all this money and it would make things easier, but I feel like the more money you get, sometimes things get more complicated and we were just to the point where we needed to like deploy this and scale. And just, it it just, I don't want to get into the nitty gritty of exactly what was happening. So I'm like kind of beating around the bush on some things, but, um, but yeah, ended up, uh, ended up kind of unwinding as we hit right into COVID. And then there was just like some big internal things that went down Right. that uh, luckily I wasn't really involved you don't want, in. You don't want to talk about it. I that. don't want to talk about Sorry. it. Unfortunately, like I the juicy stuff, maybe, maybe uh, a later date. Yeah. But.
3: Off camera. We'll, we'll talk about the yeah. juicy stuff. Yeah. So was the cash gone when you guys? N-
4: no, but we ended up running it. So all the crazy shit went down right around when COVID was starting in March of 2020. And I stuck around to try to make it work through the end of the year. Um, 2020. Oh, 2020. So, Got so by you. the time we were winding it, we ended officially ended up winding it down in, I want to say a March of 2021. So okay. like a year later. Oh wow. So yeah, a year after we shut down the California markets, moved everything to Phoenix, tried to make it work there. Then we shifted to, so my idea was we should try just to sell these as e-bikes, get a slower model with pedals and do mm-hmm. like the e-bike thing. Cause that was still a growing market, but that wasn't as interesting for venture capital to raise more money on. And our, our form factor was a little bit different than a typical e-bike. It was heavier, it was harder to ship. There was a lot of things that was complicated about it. And it just got to the point where we were just burning cash and we weren't going to be able to raise with everything that had gone on. Yeah, and yeah. just the, the idea wasn't exciting anymore. And we were like, we should probably put this to rest.
3: So you felt it before and made the decision to say, hey, this is not going where I need it to go. Yes. That's interesting, because normally people will run... You have so much passion for your ideas. They're mm. like your babies. You don't ever want to let it go.
4: Well, so that we did feel that way. And we did run it for a year after. It looked doomed. We still tried to make We're it work trying, for a year. Right, but it right. got to the point where there was literally nothing else we could do. Because I'm the last person. that like, oh, I'm going to give up. It's hard now. You don't seem the type. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I wanted to give it every chance that we could. It just got to the point where... There wasn't really anything else we could do, right? And you have to face. I think you know. I think you've, there's two things you have to be good at when you're an entrepreneur. You have to be good at knowing when to keep going and know when it's just difficult and you need to push forward and not give up. And you also need to know when, you know, maybe this isn't going to work right. and I'm going to waste my time trying to force this into existence, um, which is just as much of a problem as giving up early, right? Because now you're wasting time right. in your life, exactly, and, and just think- other people's lives and wasting money in the money too. Yeah. So it's just. I, you know, I think people always talk about, like, don't give up, don't give up. If you know deep down it's going to work, then keep going. But if you see signs, and there's a lot of times there's signs that you just, you need to, to be real with yourself and not fall in love with an idea because that can kill everything.
3: Yeah, and like you said, if, if you don't have, you said, you know, you got to know when enough is enough and you got to cut it. Mm-hmm. You also got to know if you're not the right person for the job. If you didn't have the passion or the understanding and or the skill set to mm-hmm. run a motor vehicle company. Right. You may have to know this would have been a great idea, but I wasn't the right person. That's a humbling. 100%. That's a humbling conversation to have with yourself, but it's reality, and it springboards you into doing stuff like Soso Sake, which we have to ask the question: Why on God's earth are you wearing a holographic jumpsuit? Yeah.
4: So yeah, that did springboard me into Soso, which which was awesome. But yeah, so the holographic jumpsuit was a, honestly joke at the beginning. <laughs> yeah when we were designing our packaging and just the brand feel, everything we wanted to be just fun, right? We I guess, I be- guess
3: explain what, so Soso so Sake is a canned sake so. Yeah.
4: Yeah. So it's a, it's a canned lower ABV sparkling sake. Mm-hmm. It's 5.8% 97 calories. It's basically like an RTD sake drink, yep. right? Um, something a little more refreshing than having straight sake that you can drink at the beach or when you're playing golf or the pregame. Whereas traditional sake, you wouldn't really want to like, You know, people would, it's still great. I love sake, but it's, it's easier to drink out of a can. It's more sessionable. You can have multiple of them. So it's just a more lighter, more like refreshing take on sake.
3: Right. What, where was the inspiration for this? So let's, let's go from 2021. Mm. Did you already have this idea when you were pivoting?
4: Yeah, good question. So, so when Zebra was looking like it was in its final stages, which it, you know, it was, um, towards the end of 2020, I had had, so my business partners and I now, had been drinking a lot of sake pre-pandemic. And we always felt like our best nights were those like sushi dinners where you're drinking sake. And there was like something special about those nights compared to other types of alcohol. I don't know if it's the, I think partly the drunk sake gives you partly just, it's like always in a collaborative experience when you're you're pouring each other's sake and you're sharing sushi. And yeah. it was always just really good nights. And um, we would always struggle to order sake at the restaurant because we could never remember which one to order. So I remember, I actually have the picture on my phone still of the bottle of sake that I would go back to and show the waiter or waitress to order. And it always struck me as strange why that's the only alcohol I have to do that for. It, uh, every other alcohol I could name a brand, like vodka, tequila, wine, beer. Well, I, I hate to say the reason why, <laughs> but we're white. <laughs> well, no. So I mean, but even a lot of like Asian people that I know, honestly. really, Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's definitely true. And, in, in, um, I, I just think that. Because there's not a ton of marketing within sake. That's too. So that's a really good point, too. Yeah, and I was that's say, a lot of what it is. Especially in yet. our culture. And it doesn't mean that, I mean, there's a ton of great sake brands out there that huh. have existed. I'm not saying that at all, but it just in terms of if you look at, like, social media presence right, right. and everything like that, they're just now there is, actually. In the last, like, couple of years, there's some other brands that are doing more marketing. But at this point, there wasn't really much in terms of, like, a, a sake brand doing a ton of marketing and being in places where it was really trying to get people to like know and like love the brand like other alcohol brands were
3: doing that's and i wonder why like mm-hmm. i wonder if japan it's a japanese it's yeah, japanese right? yeah i wonder if in japan they do hardcore marketing for these i'm sure they brands.
4: do in japan yeah i'm sure they do just not in
3: the states as you see. yeah said, and, culture and in i think
4: it likens to you know probably how tequila was maybe 15 years ago where people knew what tequila was but there wasn't maybe there was like jose cuervo But then you saw this explosion of brands and marketing in the last, like, five to seven years or whatever. Well, it's
3: interesting, too, because it is a rice wine, and Mm -hmm. wines don't do any marketing. Like, I wouldn't be able to tell you – I'm not a big wine drinker, so I can't tell you five names of wine brands.
4: Yeah, that's true. I I would say there's not a ton in terms of social media marketing and stuff for wine, but I think there is marketing in other ways when you just look at um, vineyards and stuff in in, – in California, and they have people going there mm-hmm. and testing their wine and tasting it, and then I think there's a lot of just marketing through restaurants where they work with the waiters and waitresses and sommeliers, and they're recommending certain wines. And there's you know a lot of point of sale stuff for wine that you'll see yeah. in stores, and they'll have displays and good placement. Where is typically um, kind of by itself in its own section and isn't as like at the forefront in a lot of like alcohol stores or whatever it That's is. That's a great and point. Yeah. In some sushi restaurants, you'll obviously have people recommending sakes and there'll be sake placed out. But um, yeah, I just think that there hasn't, there wasn't as much effort and money put into marketing.
3: So you noticed that almost like hole in the market and said, I want to go this route versus the saturated seltzer route or liquor.
4: Exactly. Yeah. And, and it was, um, so it was a combination of just really loving sake. And also it's one of the cleanest alcohols. Hmm. So it's, it's, yeah, it's rice, water, koji and yeast and it's super clean there's no flavor stabilizers added to it like preservatives there's it's sulfite free like it's very clean compared to a lot of other alcohols it's honestly like might be the cleanest one of like the cleanest um so that was another thought in our mind as well and it blends well and we saw we started to see a lot of sake cocktails popping up at restaurants that didn't have liquor licenses and it just seemed like an interesting space and there was um you know some new craft sake places popping up here and there and it felt like there was just, uh, you know, like a wave of sake coming. And we were like, this would be cool to be a part of. So when did you launch? 2021, you said, right? Yeah, mid-2021. So, so yeah, so at the end of 2020, um, I basically went back to them and said, hey, I think that Zebra's pretty much dead in the water. And, you know, should we go back to the sake idea and start messing around? And at first it was just let's create, you know, a cool brand within sake that's known and do like different types of marketing for it. But then there was this explosion in the RTDs and high noons and um, even seltzers and, and the, the canned, kind of like canned drink phase, uh, frenzy, mm-hmm. per se. And we were like, what if we did this with sake? Let's mess around with some recipes. And Scott, who is um, one of my co founders as well, who you haven't met. No, he I met uh, the other one, Andrew. Andrew, yeah, yeah. Scott had a background in beverage and taste testing, actually. He's done taste testing for. Um, like corporations in coffee for them to pick like their bulk coffee or whatever so he is like a refined palate, and we started mixing recipes with him he would taste them write the feedback down he could basically translate what we were thinking into towards about the recipe that's so and then sick. started working on that towards the end of 2020 so i had told my co-founders at zebra that i was working on this on the side saying like this is either going to be alive in six months or dead in six months if it's alive that means that we raised money And more money and like things are on the upward trajectory and you won't need me around. And if it's dead, then it's dead, which I knew I pretty much knew it'd be dead at that point. So zebra, you're saying? Yeah, zebra. So that's why I was like, you know, kind of working on that on the side. And at at those early stages, like there's not much you can do when you're getting incorporated and you're like getting your trademarking and working on the recipe before you're launched. Like there's not a whole ton you can do. So I was able to like work on zebra and kind of do that on the side. And then, uh, yeah, we got the final recipe and came up with the branding and, and, you know, that all went down from like the fall of 2020 to the summer of 2021 is when we launched.
3: Who who did the
4: branding internally or you hired somebody? Um, so actually, it's funny. One of the guys that I met through Zebra, he was like the head of creative design at Tesla. I was going to say because your design is so sick. Yeah. And we, uh, we actually our intern at Zebra. We were like, find someone cool to do design oh. for us. Just go on LinkedIn and and look up uh, designers. And I remember he leaned over and he, he told us, I found this this guy at Tesla, do you think it's worth reaching out to him? Like he's the head of creative design. We were like, do it. Like, screw it. Shoot your shot. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Ended up, the guy ended up hitting us back up. Loved the zebra idea. He became a good friend of mine just from content shoots and branding exercises and all that sort of thing. So he was one of the first people I hit up with the Soso wow. idea. Because I wanted him involved, uh, because he's super talented at design and he has been to Japan a bunch of times and is like a huge like he does like sketches in his notebook of like Japanese art and all this stuff. So he was uh he was instrumental in, in coming up with like the direction for the Soso brand and look and all of that. So I it, give him a lot of credit.
3: No, it, it's really it's so unique mm-hmm. and it's so like you could tell, there's position, precision in what he's doing. It's mm-hmm. not like just random. He's all, like, oh, let me fuck around mm-hmm. and draw mm-hmm. something. Yep. Like there's such a, there's almost like a journey, and I like how every can has a different character, a different mm-hmm. name, and it makes you feel like you got to collect them all. And I think that's very Asian inspired too. Mm-hmm. When you look at like anime and stuff like that. Yeah, he drew a lot of inspiration
4: from. Japanese brands and just artwork and pop culture. So, so he did a really good job
3: of incorporating that into our brand. Right. And I want, I want to talk about the launch of, of so, so, Mm -hmm. but before we do that, let's take a quick commercial break. 18
1: plus shopping for humans is hard shopping for your dog is easy thanks to bark every month we deliver toys and treats just for your dog they deserve to be spoiled anyway at bark we send your dog a whole new collection of toys and treats made just for them every single month whether it's our fun plush toys from bark box or our ultra tough toys from super chewer we give your dog exactly what they want for a limited time we'll double your first box for free to get your free upgrade, go to BarkBox.com iHeart.
0: Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today.
3: And we are back. so I was just asking the question about the launch of Soso and I remember and at this point I don't know if I was in my startup um, journey or I was doing Johnny drinks, but I remember being very impressed with how you went about promotion of the launch itself you had like a crazy sushi night mm-hmm. and you're doing a bunch online. so talk did you did you strategically do that or you kind of just went with it when it started the roll? No, that was, yeah, that was all strategic at that point. So
4: I had, it was like, as I said, Zebra was mouth on a fire hose experience where I was just getting (laughs) so much thrown at me and learning so much. It was crazy. So I really got a handle of, you know, the digital world, especially in, you know, marketing, whether it's through paid ads or through doing things with influencers and just content that I had a pretty... Good idea of how I wanted to go about uh, marketing it off the bat. Um, the thing that I didn't really understand, though, which I'm sure we'll get into, is the short form video content and the TikTok stuff. So, wow. the influencer things and the paid promotions and all of that at the beginning and the events was strategic. Um, and in uh, the suits and just like I wanted the brand to be crazy and fun. I wanted to enter the market like loudly, you know, which is. Can be difficult to do, yeah. Mission accomplished. <laughs> Which can be difficult to do. Um, so there was a lot of thought into the layers of what we wanted to do, when
3: we wanted to do it, and and how to make noise early. That's awesome. So I, I definitely want to get into the TikTok stuff because mm-hmm. you did start a TikTok trend that a lot of people now mm-hmm. are emulating and copying, but you really can't ever recreate mm-hmm. because you guys started. But I, I have the question: How much different, even in the last four years? has influencer marketing been for 2019 zebra versus today great question
4: um really good question because it's been it's changed so much right in influencer marketing even before zebra i would say it hit its peak in the yeah i would say it was it started to really unwind in 2020 honestly tiktok i feel like really kind of started to kill it but when I was doing Zebra and the years before that, influencer marketing was everything. There was brands made on influencer marketing. Yep. Just as before that, there was brands made on Facebook paid ads. So there's some brands and I've talked to founders of them that said that they would not be able to start their business today with the way the landscape of paid advertisement. Because impressions were so cheap and there was such little competition that you could acquire customers for dirt cheap and sell them a product for 50, 30, 40, 50 bucks with like almost you know a zero CAC, um, which is like your customer acquisition cost and you were just profiting like crazy and you just it was a formula all you did was you saw what your payback was on ad spend mm-hmm. and you just ramped the ad spend and you would get that that return on your ad spend back and it was that what the business was built on and that started to go away influencers started to kick in, which was like the next phase. And people started dumping money into influencers. And this was when that was relatively new. And I think people trusted influencer marketing a lot more than because it was new and you had only seen this influencer promote a few things. The more things an influencer promotes, the less authentic it starts to feel. And that's what was so powerful about influencer marketing at the beginning was you follow this person that, you know, you look up to and they lift and you think their lifting routine is awesome and you want to know what they eat and what they wear and, and you trust their opinion. Like, Oh, if they like this, like I must like it too. But once you see them promote 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 different things, and you know they're getting paid for it, and then all these other influencers start popping up, it just starts to lose its effect. And I think it really started to lose its effect over time. And I think it was really kind of on the decline. I mean, obviously, it still works. And there's products it works for not to discount it. Like, it, there's still room for it. But I think there was a point where it was king. And that was how it was when I was at Zebra. And, you know, I was... When we were doing so, so we did some influencer stuff at the beginning and it just did not feel worth it. It felt like we were wasting money. Um, and, you know, I saw the the power in the TikTok stuff and I was like, wow, this is where things are headed. And there's always going to be, um, you know, changes in the marketing landscape. Right there's always going to be new ways to market and the best way to market for the specific time and the cheap way to do things and the most efficient way to do things and you have to as a marketer I think that's super important to be privy to that and pay attention to that and and lean into what's working at that point in time not to say be a follower and not put your own unique spin on it but you do need to like realize where the opportunity lies
3: Well no we and you we literally just talked about it because that's exactly what you did and it's mm. funny because when I was when I had my startup I remember Maybe 2019, 2020, I had a friend that had like 60,000 followers on Instagram. So pretty big at the time. And she posted for me just a picture. And overnight, the downloads I had in that one day for the app was better than it's ever been ever. No if way. I paid somebody right now to run like a basic ad for an app, you're not getting anything, right? You might, so not, you might not get a download. It, it, you may not get one mm-hmm. download. And that's the, the difference in the landscape as a content creator. Mm-hmm. We have this balance of, yeah, we want to make money, it's a business. But we have to be very selective with the brands we work with for a couple reasons. Number one, it has to align with us because if it doesn't, it comes across very inorganic and faulty. But number two, I have to understand that you understand this landscape, that yeah, you may pay us whatever the dollar amount is, but you may not see that direct ROI Mm -hmm. overnight. And if you think that's the case, go put that money in Google Ads, right? Mm -hmm. Because I, I don't want you now to blame us for your return, right? It's just not how it works. Right. The analogy I like to always give is that we're giving you the alley-oop, but it is the brand's job to slam dunk the ball. Mm-hmm. If your website sucks or you have no platform or you have no social platform, right? You have no TikTok. And I've had this happen many times. So the only other option for a brand is, number one, start it with an influencer. Like, again, I think that's like the common trend now is name a brand that's starting up that really doesn't have like a main core influencer mm-hmm. that's starting it. Or number two, start a trend like you guys did. And so Mm -hmm. talk us through that process, right, Mm -hmm. where in the beginning you were on TikTok, you didn't really know how to run and, and, and work short form videos, and then you had this one idea that blew up and you ran with it.
4: Yeah, so I'll give a lot of credit to my buddy JT, who was early to the TikTok thing, just in general, and he like lives in the influencer world and is an influencer himself and has a lot of influencer friends. And he he started leaning hard into TikTok during 2020 and had some success creating basically like an influencer house for he called it an adult influencer house because it was people in their late 20s as opposed That's to hilarious. like the 18, 17 year old TikTok house. JT is Barrett, it? you said? Yeah, JT Barnett. Yeah, yeah, Barnett, Barnett. Yeah. Felt, so yeah. yeah, he's great. And he um. And he kept pressing me to to lean into TikTok and tell the founder's story and mm-hmm. tell stories about starting the business. And I honestly did not want to at the beginning. I was against it. I was more um, in line with just wanting to create the brand that is the brand and not have me attached to it at all. I didn't want to be in any of the content, which is funny now because really? I'm so much of it. Oh, yeah. Like, I was against it. He, he was like, you got to do this. You got to do this. This is the way it's working. It's working really well for, um, you know, some other companies. Who was it? Do, you, do you remember his examples? Oh, uh, like Midday Squares, I remember he would talk about a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anybody else? Just curious. Um, that was the one that he would constantly show me was Midday Squares. He was like, he's like there, like they showcase their team a ton and it's like all this behind the scenes stuff. And yeah. so um, I checked them out and I was like, okay, that's cool. Let me, let me see what we can do here. And he kind of gave me the initial idea for the first video to, this is how we started the first ever Sake Soda, and we got the clips together. And I remember he helped me write a voiceover for it. Then I actually did the voiceover, and he edited the first video. We did. Oh yeah, so he was like very involved in pointing me in the direction of just doing TikTok in general. And that I think that video got 350 thousand views in like the first day.
3: I remember that was your first video. First posted, video. Right? Yeah. I remember that. And
4: I was like, oh, I was blown away. I could not believe it. Well,
3: here's the thing too that I've identified as again, I don't. You can always try to guess the algorithm, but I'm never going to be like this is exact. What tends to happen with TikTok, it seems like the platform gives a really good chance of virality for like your first five videos. So, mm-hmm. what I always say to brands and even people, if you're going to start make sure you get those five videos to count. Like, don't just go mm-hmm. winging. And be like, oh, I'm going to fuck around and post whatever I want. Because then
4: the, they just, uh, your they identify not, you as a yeah. regular
3: average yeah. Joe Schmo that doesn't know what, how to mm-hmm. make content. So those first five videos are super important. Like that video that popped off for yeah. you and same thing happened with us. Mm-hmm. It may not have happened if it was your thousandth video.
4: You know, a hundred, like definitely not. Yeah. Definitely not. Yeah. And that's why, and JT knew that too. So that's why he was so serious about that first about video. About that first video. That's yeah. so interesting, man. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I give him, I give him a lot of, uh, a lot of credit for that and so that started working i still at that point was not sold on me being in a lot of the content and i actually like contracted um two younger people to to make content for us that wasn't me on our TikTok, and just it was more product focused stuff and trends and it wasn't doing as well as the first video so i thought okay let me try one more another storytelling video did that that got a hundred some thousand views and then so wasn't sold, had them doing more stuff, wasn't working that well. Like they were great, but it just wasn't getting the views that I wanted. And it's a business decision, right? Like if you're gonna be spending money on something, you want the return of that. Yeah. And I was like, I'm I can do it this myself and when I'm doing this the storytelling stuff, it's getting way more views. So just from, you know, a cash perspective, why would I be paying people to make content for me if it's not performing as well as the content I'm making for free for myself? Yeah. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to do this on my own from now on. Did more of the storytelling stuff. And we had some success with that. And then, you know, I think we got to around 30,000 followers in the first year. And it started to die down a little bit because there's only so many stories at that stage you can tell. And it just felt like I was pulling from the dumbest things to be like, this is how we did this. This is a typical day. Just, And it just started getting stale. So I was constantly thinking, what could we post next? What could we do next? And I was scrolling through my camera feed one night. For like an hour trying to find just old videos that i could turn into something and i came across this one uh clip where scott andrew and i were at a small grocery store in san francisco with the cooler and i was just trying to get b-roll for another video um, of us in front of the cooler putting up our thumbs (laughs) just to put in a clip of like this is how we do a tasting a store and as we were doing that i had on like a barrel across from us and some guy walked up to me and said oh what is is this alcohol I was like, yeah, it is. Do you want some? He's like, oh, no, I can't drink that. And he walked past. And I saw that video and I was like, let me try to post that. Who knows? And I threw some captions on and put it up. And then, boom, 150 or 200,000 views. God. I was like, oh, this, we might be onto something here. Started going back and find us more clips of us talking to small store owners, of us going in and pitching them. Where we were just, I was just trying to get B-roll footage of Scott talking to someone that I would voice over. But I was like, let me just play the natural sound and show the interaction of them put some captions to it that started working then i was like okay i'm going to legitimately bring a tripod and a microphone to a tasting and set this up for filming and see how that does right. and then those really started to do well and then a couple other brands started posting them which like all fair and another brand got i think seven million on a tasting video and i'd been getting a couple hundred thousand and i was like what do, the hell w- they do, you, want, do you want to say who uh, it was the noca it was Noka there. He's, he's a buddy though. And like, I actually filmed Alex. Alex, Yeah. Yeah, And I went up to Boston and we actually shot content together. He's a good dude. So he got 7 million on a clip and I was like, damn it. Like he's, he, he got 7 million and I only getting a few hundred thousand. Like how do I get 7 million on a, on a, on a video doing this? So I was like, what can I do that's different? And I found this string of clips of me just going, looks like you could use some sake soda. And the people were responding, nope. <laughs> looks like you could Looks like you could use some sake soda. Ah, uh, no thank you. Looks like you could use some sake soda. I'm all good. And just layered four clips of that in a row of me getting denied. And that video went ballistic. Like four or five million views. And I was like, okay, this is hilarious. And then what really triggered everything was some like 22-year-old guy clipped that video or stitched it or whatever... And it was hilarious. And I actually, like, still talk to him. he texted text me because I was, like, thanking him for this. And he was trying to make fun of me, but I thought it was hilarious. And he was like, who is this sake soda guy? He was like... Looks like you could use some sake soda. Get lost. in this whole skate, like we <laughs> to be like F off and like just basically like ragging on me. But he was like, open up. Who is this sake soda? Have you seen this sake soda guy? That's what he said. And I was like, boom, I'm the sake soda guy. My name wasn't sake soda guy on the account. We were at Soso. So he came up with the name sake soda guy. Dude. Yeah. So then I was like, oh, I'm the sake. Like this is hilarious. I'm leaning into this. Changed our account name to sake soda guy. Changed the picture from our logo to like a picture of me and Scott. And then started interacting with people in the comments of Sake Soda Guy and really leaned into this, this character that was getting denied and just like, you know, not saying the wrong thing, but just having people just basically tell me to get lost, which happens to everyone during these tastings. And I was just leaning into that and Dude. showing it. I think it just drives well people and people thought it was hilarious.
3: Well, that's, I mean, there's so much to unpack there, but number one, like you have such you're so okay with getting denied mm-hmm. because like you're just banging your head against the wall and you're just going to mm-hmm. keep going. And yep. you accepting that is so authentic. So a couple of learnings from what you just said that I could even learn and that the audience can learn is number one, authenticity always wins. People would rather see you get denied and be like, man, that sucked. than you being like, we fucking crushed it today. This was great. Nobody wants to see that stuff. Number two is, you caught virality, which you knew was viral, but it wasn't crazy virality. And instead of saying, hey, let's just stay run of the mill, let's just keep it going, it's getting us decent views. You said, no, there's more out there. Look, let's go and create more virality. And so you searched for it. And then once you found it, which by the way, is probably one of the best feelings ever, going mm-hmm. viral on like a random video is sick, yeah. but creating virality mm-hmm. and be like, oh, let me intentionally try this mm-hmm. and it working, Yeah, yeah. there is no it's better so feeling true. as a content creator. Yeah. So you found this virality, but instead of saying oh, let me try something new now you double down So as a content creator there is a journey and there's like a science to this stuff and no You can't really beat the algorithm. It's very hard to do But you can capture these moments and learn from them and that's exactly what you did Mm -hmm. So I also have the question How much did this translate over to actual direct sales Mm -hmm. of of, of so-so? Yeah,
4: I mean like, a lot. Really? Um, yeah, yeah. Well oh, that's awesome. But when oh, we yeah. first hit those viral spikes and had videos going, you know, single-digit millions to double-digit millions, like, we were seeing a massive spike in D2C sales and then just stores hitting us up across the country that wanted to carry our product, which we weren't distributing out of the state, so we didn't. But And then we would show up to stores that we were in in California, and they said, they were like, last week, like, 20 people showed up looking for this, and we sold out, and everyone was reordering. Oh, awesome. and, and then also just... Um, then you just have the bigger chains now that will take you seriously before that. You're, I mean, if you look, we're a three person team, but if we show them our social media presence, now we have 350,000 followers across TikTok, YouTube, and Instagram, you seem, you know, way, way bigger. Um, and then you have like a Walmart will take you seriously then. Right. Because all of a sudden you look like one of the big guys, even though you're the smaller three person company,
3: but your, your online presence is bigger than some of the big guys. Oh yeah, yeah. Right. And I think
4: we're the 6th like between Instagram and TikTok just company accounts. I think really? we're like the 6th most followed in alcohol or something. Yeah. Who's one? Um I want to say Guinness or Oh, really? Corona. It's one of the international Corona. No. Oh no, no. Oh no,
3: no. It's uh, Happy Dad.
4: Okay. Happy Dad Obviously. is number 1. Yeah, yeah. Happy Dad. Anybody
3: looked that up? Can we look it up again? Yeah. I mean, Nectar's got to be up there.
4: Yeah, so I get well, I'm saying company accounts because they have the podcast account. They do, yeah. Which yeah, is yeah. separate.
3: Oh, and they have Which they I have I consider
4: old... separate. But if you if you consider all in followers, they would have more with their podcast.
3: Well, that's why again and I and I know both Which is you. a strategy in and of itself. I'm that's, just that's I'm talking I'm just
4: like company accounts.
3: But it's so interesting again cuz now I obviously know you really well. I know the Nectar guys really well you guys both have had to deal with a lot of nonsense that other accounts don't have to, right? Mm-hmm. You guys both got banned, yep. didn't know yep. what to do, had to find strategic ways. Their way was a podcast, your way was going as just Mike the so-so guy. Mm-hmm. It's an individual versus a brand. Mm-hmm. And now you've found, like, you're, you're just grinders. And mm-hmm. so when you compare yourself to a Guinness, maybe they have more followers. Mm-hmm. There's no way their content is more engaging than oh, your content. definitely
4: not, yeah. And alcohol's interesting in that sense. Like, a lot of the big alcohol brands, I mean... Bud Light—they're obviously going through their own thing right now, but they've—they've they've done a lot digitally and just yeah. in the past. Like their Instagram, they do memes and like they—they they were kind of on the forefront of good social media tactics. But if you look at Like a high noon. Yeah, they do a lot with Barstool. But if you look at their actual content on their Instagram... It sucks. It sucks. Which is interesting, though, because they're like the top selling... Go
3: hire some intern from Barstool to do your stuff. What are you doing? I
4: actually don't understand why... I I mean, they they don't
3: need to. I think that's what it comes down to. They 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 just sell like crazy. They really do. Yeah. But I think the other thing, too, for these big-time brands, and I experience it as the creator on the other end, they have the um, advance or um, like you guys... If you were to send a care package to somebody, the odds of the creator then like posting something about it is a little bit lower mm-hmm. than if High Noon or Guinness sends me a package, they're expecting they don't have to pay me, and then I'm going to post about it. Mm-hmm. Whereas it's probably that's probably the case for a, a lot of creators, like, oh my God, Bud Light sent me a package. You feel special because I'm, cause I'm hyped the up now. I got it now. And that's the goal, is becoming a brand that you're actually cool if you post about it. I think there's some examples that I could give like Olipop and trough sauce like those are brands now they don't pay or they pay very little for promotion Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they don't need to they have millions of people just grabbing cans and be like
4: i'm part of the olipop gang now so true and yeah i mean that's so and that so that's the thing with with consumer branding consumer brands and, and consumer products specifically is the only way to truly win you could have the best marketing in the world you could have the most viral tactics on earth but until you get to the point where people love your product and you have those repeat buyers that are so loyal and you've tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of those people that are so diehard to your brand and they're telling everyone about your brand and then the people they're telling or trying it and loving it and falling in love with and doing the same thing like you're not going to win unless that's happening right and that's what we're all striving to get to you can't market a company into existence right you can market a company into people trying your product but the people will make the product work because or not the product work, but the people will make they're, they're the determiners they're the they will determine if the company's gonna be successful or not based off just repeat buying and word of mouth. That's truly the only way to win. And like High Noon has that more than anyone. So for them, there's not as much of a need for them to be making like crazy viral videos
3: where they have the consumer on lock. That's a great point. And I think again, it goes back to like why product, the actual product is so important. Mm-hmm. The juice has to be mm-hmm. delicious when it comes to any of your alcohol brands. Yep. And that's why it almost, going viral too early, it feels really good. But it could be like the demise of your brand because mm-hmm. now let's say you got millions of people that are trying your product and it's the first version and it sucks. Now you got millions of people telling you it yeah. sucks and they're never trying it again. Yep. So you almost have to pace have to that out. Yeah. You got to be careful. Yeah, And it, and it, it it's, takes a lot of time.
4: Yeah, and it's as a small brand, you know, if you say you raise capital and you're not sure if you'll be able to raise more without showing some sort of growth, like do you hold back on going viral in the, in the chance that they might not like your product or do you – or do you just go for it and go viral so that you can hopefully, you know, if you believe in your product, you should want to go viral. Yeah. It, it's, it's, I mean, it's the, that's the early stages of, of a company, right? There's a lot of big decisions that can be the determining factor of your success or not. And you just don't know. So you have to go with your best gut instinct on that, right? right. Because hindsight's 2020, and in the moment you really just, you know, a lot of times there's one, you know, there's this fork in the road and you got to go with one or the other and it could be, totally different pathways. And one could be you becoming a hundred million dollar business and one could be you going out of business.
3: That's and that's what you have to be comfortable with as an entrepreneur. Right. And there's so much I want to ask you about where you guys are at right Mm -hmm. now. But before we do that, just one more quick commercial break.
1: Shopping for humans is hard. Shopping for your dog is easy, thanks to Bark. Every month, we deliver toys and treats just for your dog. They deserve to be spoiled anyway. At Bark, we send your dog a whole new collection of toys and treats made just for them every single month. Whether it's our fun plush toys from BarkBox or our ultra-tough toys from Super Chewer, we give your dog exactly what they want. For a limited time, we'll double your first box for free. To get your free upgrade, go to BarkBox.com iHeart
5: come.
3: And we're back with Mike Brown, co-founder of so so Saki. I mean, off camera, I was hyping you up, man. I, I really do want to give you credit because you're actually like a very smart dude. You know, like you, mm. you are intentional with what you do. You're not just some guy running around in a jumpsuit <laughs> hoping to go viral. Right. And I think the beauty of it is that it comes across like that. Yeah. You're just a simple guy and yeah. you have a lot of fun with what you do, but it's very strategic and mm. you have a plan for everything. And I think that's a good... A, a good concept for a lot of other founders to grasp like this is not just some fun game where you can willy-nilly start a, a product and then hope it does well there's mm-hmm. no you can hope as much as you want but you have to be very precise with what you do mm-hmm. so started soso in t- 2021. Mm-hmm went viral sold a ton of cans where where are you at now yeah as far as like sales so
4: I, I guess the progression so we're like talking to investors and stuff right now so i don't want to get too into sales you, yeah you, you share with whatever, yeah. whatever you, you um share.
3: but i would
4: say from last year we're expecting to like you know i would say four or five x did last year which is solid. in 2023 in this year yeah wow last year. yeah which is but here's the thing our trajectory has been odd so this is this is why our our growth timelines a little oh, oh this is why our growth timelines a little bit weird i would say is when we launched in 2021 we were so because i had the experience in direct to consumer from zebra like i was mm-hmm. selling electric mopeds online and electric moped subscriptions and i had our cac down to like nothing for what our payback was like like LTV and, and customer acquisition costs and all that stuff. So I was super confident in my ability to be able to sell a canned product online. And I heard the success that Bev was having and that June Shine was having during the pandemic. A lot of these companies had explosions in sales because they were able to swing to the direct-to-consumer direction, mm-hmm. and we're just pumping out product that way right. and ripping sales. So when I, we were starting this, the pandemic, you know, it was a year we weren't really out of it in 2021, middle of 2021, right? And I was hearing all of this, and I was like, oh, we could probably get away with, and I didn't know, like, none of us had any beverage, ex- Scott had beverage experience in a different route, but not alcohol, which is so different. So I'm thinking to myself, we can game this where we can just go direct to consumer, bypass a distributor to start, and just start selling product online, and keeping all the profit margin ourselves, not taking the distributor fee, not taking the store fee, and you know just m- go off of what like bev and like june Shine are doing direct to consumer why are we able
3: to do that without a distributor
4: because if you're going direct to consumer there's no distributor
3: you don't have to have one
4: for no. liquor sales no like you, you you we have like a shipping partner that handles our shipping for us got it, okay but when you're going to a store sorry when you when you're going to a store selling to stores or restaurants that's when you need a distributor oh, but our distributor okay. isn't involved in our online stuff got it so i'm thinking okay we can just get this going without needing a distributor and just rip this online and we know we'll be a viral sensation online and we'll just have you know i I, i'm so confident in my ability i can run all the paid ads myself we don't have to pay some agency i can get the content made so like for for us like people pay advertising agencies like 25 grand a month whatever i can do that all myself
3: you still run the ads yeah i still run all of yeah like you run your facebook ads
4: Oh yeah, I run our Facebook ads, Google ads. I run i the whole Instagram I manage. I post every post on Instagram. Really? Yeah. Answer all the DMs, all the comments. Yeah. Every TikTok video I edit, I edit our YouTube videos. I make our YouTube thumbnails, like everything. Wow. Yeah. Um. So I'm thinking we can do that as soon as we launched. The whole D2C alcohol trend just went downhill. Yeah. And, and as we were thinking this was going to take off, people are winding back their C and shutting down their alcohol C businesses and just going back to retail. And we're like, what the hell? So we spent the first seven or eight months of our business with no distributor trying to get one. We started conversations in the fall after we launched like three or four months. We started conversations, but it took a while to get one. So we ended up getting like a very big one, which is great, like a national, like probably the, the biggest wine and spirits distributor in the country, which was great. But it took us till the next spring which was last spring to fully get on with them so we oh. didn't even have a distributor till like last summer
3: wow so, so every, it's been
4: it's been about a year with a distributor that's it
3: so what is the percentage of sales d2c versus uh, uh, in store
4: and uh, so last so last year it was higher it was probably like close to 50 50 this year it'll be way more in stores so like oh probably really like 80 20 or something wow yeah how many stores are you in Um, we're in like 500 now. I think we'll be in close to eight or 900 by the end of the year. Oh my God.
3: All in California. All in California. Yeah. How many stores in California? Thousands, dude. (laughs) Thousands. But what's your market? Like how do you have a percentage of how many stores there are versus how many you're in? I actually don't. That's a good question. I don't know. I don't. Yeah.
4: Good question. Lots of good questions from this guy. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I'd have to check. I'm not, I'm not sure, but you know, there's a couple more chains that we're talking to that are big that once we get those, we pretty much saturated the big chains in California. Okay. Aside Understood. from a few. So then we would look to expand outside of the state. Where, where do you want to expand outside of California? So we want to say West Coast in Hawaii is where we're thinking. Really? Why Hawaii? Culture. Hawaii has a big Asian population and it's smaller. So it's a smaller footprint. And there's a couple big chains there that basically, you know, um, encompass like all of the islands. So if you get those two chains, you have distribution like throughout the entire state for the most part. Okay. Um, so and we also just have some, you know, people that that have, you know, have inns there, whatever it is. And it would make sense So that's a market. And then just like Washington, Oregon, Arizona, Nevada, just like things that are like on the West coast and close is like what we're thinking.
3: I think it makes so much sense for you guys and anybody to stay local and conquer the local market, right? Mm. Because everybody's so quick to be like, oh, "All right, I'm in this area, but I want to be nationwide. Mm-hmm. And now you're spread so thin, you can't go into these stores every day because you're not there. Right. And there's probably so much money to be made Let's say hypothetically you're in every store in California. I would I don't even know what your revenue numbers would be, but it would probably be tens of millions. Yeah. Like already. crazy.
4: Yeah. So that's the thing. And and if you're if you're building a business, whether like most of the time you're building these businesses to get bought, right? And if you look Correct. at Ranch Rider, so they started just in Texas yes. and they got bought in like a year, just based off their success in Texas. So a lot of these strategics will look and say, Okay, if their if their velocity in this one state is you know X Y Z, and their sales are X Y Z in this one state. That's enough proof for us that this works. All they need now is just distribution out of their state and more people to help get the product on shelves and make sure it's good. It's just a copy paste formula at that it's point. It's a repeat. So, so you just yeah you just literally just prove it in one state and you can get bought that way. Like not saying it happens all the time, but it's it's possible. That's the way to think about it. So in a lot of times you're your sales data and velocity could look better if you're just in one state. Because as you said, you can focus all of your attention there. Where say you're in 100 stores in California, 100 in Texas, 50 in Nevada, 80 in Washington, or whatever it is. And then all of a sudden, now you have to have strategies for all those states. I was going to say. You have to have people hired for all those states. Now you're putting a lot more money into a bunch of different spread out markets, logistics, traveling to those states. It's just... They're all they all act differently. So like how you're approaching them is different. Versus if you're in one state, you're like okay, we have like the Bay Area, we have L.A. and we have or we have like Bay Area and SoCal really, That's right? It. Which is like well, there's like Bay Area, then L.A.
3: and then SoCal like San Diego, Orange County. Okay. Those are the main markets in California. Well, it's funny because like you, you mentioned like the rinse and repeat. Once you conquer one area, you can then go on to another area mm. and do the same thing. But Ranch Water, Ranch Riders, mm. yeah, we work with them. Um, it's a good example, but Hypothetically, nobody drinks more ranch water than people in Texas. So oh, for sure. Let's say people in Jersey hated it. No, that's true. Yeah. You know, like, and so that's the risk. You know, and that, sorry, that's a
4: that's a good point. You're right. Because, okay, maybe they just have a ton of success in Texas, but other states it wouldn't work. So can you make that bet? I don't know. That's for the person who bought them. It's to a culture thing, out. too. Yeah. Like, Taylor and Cheese
3: do really well over here. Yep. Would they do well anywhere else? I don't know. But it's right. like a New Jersey strong thing. Mm-hmm. Because you got to like Taylor Ham, and we're mm-hmm. saying Taylor Ham and not Pork Roll because yep. we're in North Jersey and we're yep. right. But it's same thing with you guys. If you want to really and not hack growth, but show a really great velocity number, you're way better off, lo, you know, localizing. Say, hey, people here love this stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they love it there yet, mm-hmm. but like, let's make sure everybody here loves it first, so mm-hmm. we can show these big numbers and then go to places mm-hmm. like New Jersey because, or, or Midwest. Mm-hmm. You know, how many people in Midwest like sake? How many people right. know? in Oregon, what soccer is, mm-hmm. it could be a right. completely different market. Exactly. Which so, is, this is all things you need to think about, right? And,
4: yeah. And this is all things that investors think about and, and potential buyers think about. And, uh, no, you're totally right. And yeah, the success in one state doesn't always mirror success in another state, but I do think that there's power in having success in one state. Cause at the end of the day, if it's flying in there and you are crushing it in one sure. state, the odds are that it would do well in a lot of other states and in most alcohol, a lot of alcohol is regional, like high noons national. But if you look a lot of times you go to East coast and West coast and you'll see different stuff in the fridges and owning a region is is pretty powerful too. And, uh, you know, a lot of strategics, they might not have as much of a presence on the West coast as they do the East coast. And they're like, Oh, this is a great plug for us to like get up our presence on the West coast or whatever it is. There's right. Like this the- area would be great for so-so, but mm-hmm. you don't have people here,
3: right? You'd have to move here.
4: Yeah. Or hire some or hire people, which requires a lot of capital. So there's so many there's so many gives and takes Um, because obviously then it's a, it is a revenue boost, though, because you're opening up a new stream of stores and potential customers and all that. But it's like, what, what are you valuing? And I think a lot of I think a lot of investors and strategics value they want to see increasing revenue. But I think velocity is
3: really important to them in beverage. That's so you think that's like a KPI th- for them. I think I think velocity is probably there. The biggest one. Yeah, I would guess. Interesting. So you've. Can you talk about your your fundraising right now? Uh, it's no. like it's kind of on the low key. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But that's okay. Um, and you you're looking to raise again pretty soon. You could say. yeah. We're
4: well, so we were. It's like always conversation. Like we did raise around that. Uh, you know, I'll say like the end of last year into the beginning of this year. But we're just it's like conversations for. You know, a little bit into the future, like probably end of end of this year, early next year.
3: It's got to be hard to not take money if somebody's like, "Hey, I, I'm really interested." In, right. I know you're not raising, but yeah, yeah,
4: yeah. It's it's true. I mean, I think that's something as founders you always have to be conscious of too is when to take money and when not to. And I think in this type of environment, it's hard not to, as you said, yeah, because money's not easy right now. Three years ago, money was pretty easy for a lot of people. So if you if you do have the opportunity to raise, like you got to be smart about it. But it's not always the smartest to raise money because. As with Zebra, which we needed to raise money, but more money can lead to more problems with in many different aspects of life. Like it's a true thing. And I think if once you once you raise if you raise a substantial amount of money and you raise way more than you need, yeah, you're comfortable and yeah, the chance of you going out of business should be less. But are you going to make as wise of decisions as you would when you're strapped for cash? Are you going to focus as much? Are you going to put as much effort and energy into hiring the best people? Are you just going to pay for someone that has a high market value that worked at a big company with a good name because it sounds good and it should work out versus the guy that's hungry and scrappy that you should be hiring? Like there's so many, are you going to blow money on an offsite retreat and you know, bring a bunch of people because it sounds fun. And then at the end of the year, you look back and you're like, we got way too lax with spending. A lot of our money did nothing. A lot of what we spent didn't do that much for the business. And that's obviously like a founder dilemma. Um, you would hope that most founders, if they raised money, would be responsible enough and still make the right decisions. But a lot of times I think that is what happens with founders is they raise a ton of money and it's just not the same mentality or mindset when you feel comfortable, especially especially when in- you're
3: young. When you're young and in your area, LA area yeah. and, and New York area, everybody mm-hmm. wants to have the crazy big launch parties and the, the onsite huge pop ups. Like what do you want to are you are you do you want to pretend to be an entrepreneur or do exactly. you want to actually be Which one of There's a lot a of that. And I noticed that too. So I went to LA briefly for like a couple of days or maybe even like a week, but I noticed so many brands burning through cash with like these crazy parties and yeah, it's a lot of fun to do and show that you did it. What's your What's return, the return? Yeah. Number one, you really can't quantify what the return is. You but can't, But number two, no. there's no way it's going to be Mm-mm. at le- even equal. Because, it's just not necessary. Because there's so many, me- like you said, it's very saturated. So now, if this is my fifth pop-up party in the week, I'm not now getting devoted to that brand. I'm going to go hop to the next one that's doing the next party. Right. So that's a hard approach. And like you said, hypothetically, if you guys started out with a couple mil in the bank... You wouldn't have felt the pressure to go create content on your own, hundred which led to now the only reason, and I'm not saying you wouldn't have mm-hmm. found something else, but mm-hmm. the reason why you guys went viral mm-hmm. and really the crux of your business, right? Would you say that the viral videos are the reason why you guys are here right now? Yeah, for
4: sure. For sure. It's helped so much. I think, um, you know, when we launched, I think a lot of brands can probably speak to that. Like I know, um, like Nectar, as you said, like they were at a point where they were able to go viral. And I feel like that was like a huge moment for them, huge moment for us going viral. When you're small and and you don't have anything to show and like you're not backed by some like rich family or like rich billionaire investor off the bat and you're like really scrapping at the beginning, which I think they are too, or they were too. Um, Like if you can't think of something to just separate you from the pack, like Who's going to take you seriously in a year if you're just trucking along and, you know, slowly building gains, your yeah. stores and in-store count and, and whatever it may be. I just think that, yeah, it, it's safe to say that if we hadn't gone super viral, especially like in, in just especially with the fundraising environment, that's probably the most important thing, the fundraising environment in the last couple of years. Just, you know, you saw fin- uh, financial markets meltdown right. in the last couple of years. VC spending. There's VC funding dried up a ton, especially in consumer. Like you'll still get the tech investment. This but, year especially, right? Yeah. This year, last year was really bad. So if, if you weren't doing something like that really stood out or substantial, whether it was a crazy marketing strategy where you were, you know, outpacing massive brands on social media followers or whatever
3: it is, like no one's going to give you money. Right. Like we wouldn't have been able to raise. Well, that's and again, another reason. And I always use, it's funny i from like consulting or advisor, or even just having a conversation with a brand. I, I always point to you and I point to Nectar and I say, here are two brands that I don't care if you have millions of dollars in the bank account, you need to be doing this. Mm-hmm. You need to be going, number one, telling your founding story. I say it, I don't care how good you feel on camera. You could be the most awkward man in the room, put yourself on camera and tell your story because that's what people care about. Number two, find what works for you as, as far as going viral mm-hmm. because if you don't, Like you said, you're gonna be another run-of-the-mill brand that nobody really cares about and feels connected to. I feel a personal connection to you as a person. I feel a personal connection to Jeremy and the boys at Nectar because of all the content they create. Mm -hmm. That now, when I go to the liquor store and I'm like, Mm -hmm. oh, what do I buy? Do I buy this brand or buy that brand? You know what? I like these guys. I'm Mm going to buy this brand. That happens so much and so often Mm -hmm. that it is essential nowadays. And a lot of people overlook that.
4: It's essential if you're starting from where we didn't, where I think they did as well. Right. If you're starting, you know, because you're already super rich or you're a celebrity or you have massive connections to the beverage industry because your best friend sold a company in alcohol for a billion dollars and you know every distributor through them and you start your brand and overnight you're like in 10 States with like the best placement and you know, every like major grocery chain, then it doesn't matter as much because you've, you're already there. But if you're starting from like ground zero, like where we did and I believe they did, then then yeah, you do need it because yeah. I don't know how else you fight through. It's a it's a cutthroat industry and it's
3: really competitive. Not everybody's the Rock. That's how a million. Yeah, it's just, seriously, it's just ins- yeah. insane. Dude. Yeah, but again, you got to give him credit because yeah, he's the Rock, mm. but he has worked his ass off. That stuff is everywhere, and yeah. he's everywhere promoting. Yeah. Well, he's a crazy marketer and just right. this person. So and everybody feels so connected to him as a person exactly. that you look he's the, the right like.
4: person yeah there's certain celebrities that can start anything and it'll just fly yeah and
3: Terramon has that effect the, the same brand effect they're going to that store now I feel cool if a, if the Rock, I'll tell you what right now. The Rock signed the bottle and sent it to me and wrote a little note. I'm posting that shit. Oh, I'm not yeah, charging him. Yeah. I'm saying here, man, thanks so you much for the try bottle. Try to ride. charge him. He he probably pays. <laughs> <pretty. laughs> but no, I don't give a shit. I I no, know, I, know, I know. I would way rather just be like, oh man, the Rock reached out to mm. me. Like that's so. Yeah. I feel so cool. Oh about yeah, him. I mean of course. You know, of course. So there's there's so many things to learn from there. And you know, we just launched our bourbon. Shout out Johnny Drake's Bourbon on sale. It's good. At I tried Locations it. in New Jersey. And we deal with the same thing. We're like, I assume, and I do this with the podcast too, that I have zero followers. I never want to go into something saying, well, I'm, um, and we are so-and-so, I'm going to walk in this liquor store and they're going to buy our stuff because of our name. No, you may not know us. And if you do know us, and we've had that happen where now mm. liquor stores are already picking it up because they are excited about the virality and us attaching their name to them and whatever mm. But if I go with the mindset of I'm going to treat this like it's boots on the ground, if I had to sit there for four hours signing bottles or mm-hmm. talking to customers and so be it. Mm-hmm. Because now my, the only advantage I have is the one that's I already have baked in. Mm-hmm. But again, you got to compare. You got to assume you don't have that. You have to. You know, you have to. So dude, yeah. this is this has been such a great conversation. I think we could talk for hours about this stuff, yep. but I don't want to take up too much of the time for the audience here. It's been about an hour, right? We've been, we've been rocking. I end every podcast asking the guests two questions. And I didn't didn't tell you what they're going to be on purpose. Mm. So the two questions are going to be, in your life, doesn't have to be so-so, what has been the lowest of low moments for you? Mm. And then follow that up with what has been the highest of highs? Mm -hmm. Yeah,
4: I would say the lowest of lows. I mean, it had to have been when we realized that Zebra was getting shut down it was the middle it was like basically the beginning of the pandemic the world felt like it was ending and this business (laughs) that i was so excited about and i was so naive like yeah i was was, i'm i'm still naive to an extent now obviously whatever yeah yeah but i was really naive then where uh, it was my first startup experience and it went so so perfectly well so quickly that I thought I was like we made it like this is we've raised a 12 and dollar series eight months in like what could go wrong so I was riding such a high and then a few couple months later such a low that it just it was like the highs of the highest of the highs and the lowest of the lows right back to back so that was pretty dark and then just thinking you know what am I gonna do next do I do I give this another shot somewhere like I'm gonna try to make Zebra work but after that do I go back to work in finance do I try to give you know the the startup thing another shot do i have it in me like i just got punched in the mouth am i going to stand back up from this that sort of thing so that and then just yeah then in combination with the pandemic that was pretty bad times yeah and then your highest of highs highest of highs that's a good question i honestly want to say to this point was probably getting my first job offer to Citigroup out of college really yeah yeah, because I, I, to me, so like I'm from Pittsburgh and I'd, the, my first time going to New York City was basically to interview at like one of these banks. I'd never, I was wearing like a Macy's suit with like big shoulder pads. And like <laughs> I had no business or idea of what any of that was and kind of stumbled into this pathway of getting to like network and possibly get a job on Wall Street, which I had never even dreamed of doing. So at that moment, it felt like, I was putting myself on the, I was, I'd like not made it, but in my, I didn't make it at all, but in my mind I'd made it right. Like I graduated college and I got a job on wall street and I could do anything from that point on, which I think was a huge stepping stone for me and just really put me on a different trajectory than anything else would have, whether it's getting involved with other guys there to do startups with or having the network to raise money from like all those things. So I just look back and I think that was like the most like pivotal point in my life
3: probably was getting that first job interesting on wall street yeah well i think that's the goal now is to create a new highs of highs. yeah so- if so- i sell so- something that'll, that'll easily man. yeah yeah well listen you were super inspiring guys if you want to find sososake it's sososake.com if you're in the california area check it out that's it for today like subscribe share cheers no one likes to talk about money
0: am i saving enough can i buy a house am i paying too much in taxes will i be able to retire What if you could unlock insights about your finances in less than five minutes with a clear picture of where you stand today and where your money can work harder? Now you can. Visit facet.com to take the free quiz and get your financial wellness score today. That's F-A-C-E-T dot com. This ad is sponsored by Facet. Facet Wealth Incorporated is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice.
5: With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency, where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals. It's not about being the best in the world. It's about doing what's best for the world. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.
2: Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not 80 Acres Farms. Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled.
0: I'm Mark Gordon, Republican governor of Wyoming.
2: And I'm Michelle Lujan Grisham, Democratic governor of New Mexico.
0: We're here to talk about one of our oldest, most cherished American traditions. We're talking about disagreement. Our country was founded by people who disagreed on just about every issue. And yet they still got the job done. By asking questions, listening, and staying curious. There's one thing we hope we'll always agree on. That it's okay to disagree the right way. A message from the National Governors Association.